Please turn with me in your Bibles or turn in your bulletins to find our insert that has our passage of Scripture printed upon it found in Jeremiah the 33rd chapter. And while you're looking for that, I will tell you that uh, I really in the sermon don't go into the very last verse or last sentence rather of this uh, passage which says, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. The reformer John Calvin in his commentary on the book of Jeremiah claims that this is the church. It's what Jeremiah is talking about, that the church will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. I just wanted you to know what that phrase was all about. It's really a word play on the name Zedekiah. King Zedekiah is a king with which Jeremiah had to, had to deal. And uh, his name, Zedekiah, means the Lord is righteous. And so he's just changed it a little bit to say the Lord is our righteousness, emphasizing what God is about to do. So that's just for your information. Now we're going to read together. Uh, this word from God through Jeremiah, beginning at verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. I hope you understand that this passage that we just read though it is uh, what we would call a messianic text, a text having to do with the coming of Jesus through one of God's prophets, even though it's a messianic text, it's not all that unusual in this book, this wonderful book of the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, uh, this phrase we see at the beginning of our passage, the days are coming, is a phrase that we see often in this book. I opened up my uh, concordance and came up with a quick count of at least 12 times and I think it's more that it's in his book where there's just a slight variation. Jeremiah is always talking about the days that are coming. He's always talking about what God is going to do in the future and how he will fulfill his promises. And Jeremiah was always talking about this because God had come to him and had put this call upon him to be his spokesperson in that time and in that place. And so Jeremiah was always talking about the future because he knew what was going to happen because God had already told him. He had a vision that was clearer than 2020. It was a blind person... Helen Keller, who once pointed out that we who have eyes to see so often don't. And you know, Jesus also said something similar to that. 
Helen Keller, if you don't know anything about her, was both deaf and blind all of her life except for the first 19 months. And she once wrote an article for the Atlantic Monthly entitled Three Days to See. And in that article, Keller named all of the people, all of the places, all of the objects that she would like to physically see if she should be given a three-day reprieve from her blindness. Keller wrote, It is a great pity that in the world of light the gift of sight is used as only a mere convenience rather than as a means of adding fullness to life. Keller saw more than most of us, even though she was blind. And strengthened by a faith of great joy, she once remarked that active faith knows no fear. And it is a safeguard to me, for me against cynicism and despair. Now think about those words. Active faith knows no fear. Why? Because Scripture teaches us that perfect love casts out fear. And we have that perfect love in the gift of Jesus Christ. She says, active faith knows no fear and it is a safeguard to me against cynicism and despair. If anyone should have been in despair, it was the prophet Jeremiah. He had been obedient in speaking the word of the Lord. This word that God consistently gave to him. And he was thrown in prison by King Zedekiah for what he said, the truth that he told. You know, one of the spiritual principles that we see in Scripture, we find over in Deuteronomy 28, which says that God blesses obedience. That's a principle that Sarah and I always try and remember. We've always tried to teach that to our children, that God blesses obedience. And, of course, there are all kinds of different blessings in life, spiritual, physical, all kinds. But yet Jeremiah is not seeing many blessings out of his obedience, at least of the physical sort. He's actually writing these words that we just read while in prison. And while the Babylonian army is besieging the city of Jerusalem. Now I know that none of us have ever been in a siege. But we need to think just a little bit about what that would be like. This particular siege of Jerusalem lasted right at a year and a half. Can you imagine 18 months of that kind of psychological stress? Can you imagine 18 months of no freedom of movement other than within the wall of the city. Can you imagine 18 months of an ever-dwindling food supply and just wondering when the food would finally run out? Lamentations 4 speaks to the horrors of this particular siege where we're told happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger. Happier were those people who were killed by the sword than those who had to live through this siege. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. And Lamentations 4 has some worse things to say, but you get the picture. And while all of this is going on, 
God is speaking good news through the prophet Jeremiah. This man who's in prison because of his words. And the reason he's in prison is not because of this good news. It's because he told Zedekiah, he said, you might as well lay down your arms and not fight against Babylon. God has told me that that the Babylonian army is going to destroy this place and there's no, no reason for you to try and fight. And Zedekiah didn't like those words. And he threw God's prophet into prison. And here in our text, Jeremiah is talking about these days that are coming. Even though he's in prison, even though he can tell this siege is going on all around him, he's already looking way ahead. You know, that's a hard thing for you and me to do. We only see the next day. We only see this problem that's in our lives right now. We can't see that far ahead. But Jeremiah was calling people to have this same vision he had to look ahead and to think about what God had already promised and would bring to fruition. God says, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Now, I don't know that what those in Judah thought about these words of God from the prophet Jeremiah, but they should have paid attention. Because among other things, God was offering hope in these words. As someone has said in the Bible, hope is no longer a passion for the possible. It becomes a passion for the promise. And God's promise is involved here, a promise He made to David generations earlier when He said to David, those words recorded for us in 2 Samuel 7, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now Zedekiah is about to be killed when Babylon overthrows Jerusalem. I believe if my memory serves me correctly, his sons were killed before him, right in his sight, and then he was killed. And that's an important fact to remember because of what Jeremiah is prophesying here. You see, Zedekiah was a bad king. The chronicler describes him this way in 2 Chronicles 36. He did what was evil. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord. All the leading priests and the people likewise were unfaithful. Now, when you hear something like that, you can see why Jeremiah's words were words of hope as he talked about this justice and this righteousness that would be in the land. You see, it had been almost a generation since there had been a good king in Judah. That was Josiah, some 23 or 24 years before that. That was the last good king that there was. And not only the kings, but the religious leadership had been disobedient. And and we sort of understand what they were going through as a nation, don't we? 
We know what it's like to be led by those in state government and on the federal level, both parties who blatantly lie, who fail to follow God's will, who in fact make decisions and policies contrary to God's word, who commit adultery and fraud and all sorts of terrible things. That's the same kind of things God's people were living through in the time of Zedekiah. It's so depressing for us, I think, sometimes after experiencing this sort of thing year after year from our leadership. It can lead to cynicism and a defeatist attitude even among the obedient, even among those of us with hope. This is some of what was experienced by those in Judah. So these words about leadership full of justice, leadership full of righteousness were wonderful words, words of hope and a better future, uh, describing a time when God would be obeyed, when His will would be carried out by the leadership. It's thoughts like these that lead us to remember God's words to His people in 2 Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. And I will do what? Do you remember? I will heal their land. This is a healed land that Jeremiah is describing here. In those days that are coming, it's a healed land. A healing brought about ultimately by the coming of God's Messiah and the hope that He offers. But it's not just hope that God offers through Jeremiah, it's also life. I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. Jeremiah echoes the same thought we see in Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a rod. Choir, don't you have an anthem? You sing those very words, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. There's nothing like life in the midst of death and destruction and this, this branch, this green plant is a sign of God's reign on earth to come. I don't know how many of you have seen the Disney Pixar movie Wally. I know some of you with younger children may have seen that at some point in time. And if you have seen it, you know that that animated story takes place in the distant future where we've consumed so much on earth and made so much junk and scrap that the earth can no longer sustain the human race. And with the creation ruined, we head to outer space on these huge spaceships. Wally is a robot whose mission is to crush all of the junk left behind on earth. It's a lonely job, and of course, with a Disney movie, he gets into all sorts of mischief. Then one day, another robot shows up who's named Eve. Wally isn't sure what she's up to, but they have a sort of friendship. And Wally takes her back to his bunker where he's collected various odds and ends over the years that have struck his fancy, a a toy, a, a string of Christmas lights, a spork of all things. And when he shows Eve an old boot with something inside of it, everything changes. Because inside the boot is a small sprout 
As far as the eye can see, you see scrap and junk and no living thing. And inside this boot is a small shoot with one tiny leaf on it. And it's very small and very tiny, but it's alive and it's growing. And as the movie continues, we find out that Eve is a probe sent to earth to look for signs of life. Her mission is to collect specimens and send them back to the mothership. The thought is that if just one plant can grow, then maybe earth can sustain life again. And the people can come back and start rebuilding their lives, the kind of lives they were meant to have from the very beginning. This tiny little plant is overwhelmed by all of the scrap and all of the junk. But it's a sign. You see, Eve's task is our task on this first Lord's Day in the season of Advent, in a world full of things, we're called to snoop around and look for signs of life. Real life. The kind of life the coming of the Messiah brings. You know, life is an important subject to Jesus. He talks about it a lot. Especially in the Gospel of John, do we see him saying that word over and over and over again? In well known verses like, I am the bread of life, or I am the way and the truth and the life, I am the resurrection and the life. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the good news that Jeremiah proclaims, that through this righteous branch, God is going to one day send life. That life that you and I so desperately need in the midst of all of the decay and death, all of the junk and scrap of this world, the coming of Jesus brings life. Indeed, the abundant life, the eternal life, we can find only in Him. But it's not just hope and it's not just life that Jeremiah speaks of here. But indeed, salvation and security, the very things we need and those for which we long. Have you noticed how God spoke to the very particulars of the needs of those people in the southern kingdom with these words from Jeremiah and how really in this passage he speaks to our particular needs as well. You know, when your city is under siege, I would think security would be right there at the top of your prayer list. And that's one of the things God is promising. Security for Jerusalem, security for that city that is under siege. You know, in a manner of speaking, our city is under siege. There's no army outside the walls of Rock Hill of which I'm aware. But I mean our way of life is under siege. Our way of life is under siege when parents murder their children. And when children murder 
their parents and their grandparents. Our way of life is under siege when you're not even safe driving down the street in your car or in your own home because of people trying to force their way in. Security must be near the top of our prayer list as well. But even more than security, we need to be saved. You know, it's one thing to be physically safe, but salvation is on a whole different level. Because it speaks not to our physical comfort, not to our physical security. It speaks to our souls. Just as those in Judah needed saving from those who would overpower them, we need to be saved from the sin and the evil in the world which seeks to overpower us each and every day. Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In those words, Jesus is talking about the power of Satan, the one whom he refers to in John 12 as the ruler of this world. That's why this salvation is such good news. It's not just that God will deliver His people from their enemies in a physical way. It's an eternal salvation of which He speaks. It's a throne that will be established forever. And this one who rules will bring this gift of salvation and security. It's that inheritance of which Peter speaks when he tells us it's imperishable. It's undefiled, it's unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's that deliverance from the sin that so easily besets us. You know, in Ephesians 2, Paul talks about how we're dead in our sins, following the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that is now at work and all those who disobey. He's talking about that's how our life used to be. In other words, we were under siege and there was no way out. But the good news of the gospel is always that God can make a way where there is no way. We see that over and over and over again in Scripture. It's like God is saying to us over and over, Don't you get it? I can make a way where there is no way. When the children of Israel are backed up against the Red Sea, God made a way for them to cross over. It's the same way when the whole world is backed up against the evil. And we think that death is one. As Jesus utters those words from the cross, it is finished. God made a way three days later with the resurrection, which provides us with that living hope that is ours by the mercy of God through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say there in Ephesians 2, but God who is rich in mercy, even though we were dead in our sins, but God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ, that in the coming ages 
that in the coming ages, in those days to come, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith. This is the good news of Advent. These days that are coming. But wait. They kind of have already come, haven't they? See, that's the interesting thing, the paradox, if you will, about Advent. It's sort of like the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. There's that already not yet component. You know, we, we celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We talk about how His body was broken, His blood poured out for, the, for our sins. All of that has already taken place, and yet we, we await that time to commune with God face to face at the heavenly banquet table. And it's the same thing with Advent. The joy, joy to the world for the Lord is come. God has already sent His gift, Jesus Christ, to the earth and we rejoice in that and that's part of what Advent coming is all about. But at the same time, those days are yet to come when God will fully consummate His kingdom, when Jesus Christ returns to this earth where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the days that are coming. We've already had the great days of the coming of God's Messiah and we look forward to the days that will come, the even greater, if you want to put it that way, when Jesus returns and we see Him in all glory, honor, power, and majesty, the way He's been from all eternity until He lowered Himself to take on the form of flesh and come to this earth. That's what Advent's all about. Jesus came for you and He came for me and He came for this world, this evil world. And He will come again. It's the good news of the gospel. Believe it and live in its peace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.